When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, look, we've got our top eight. In fact, yes, I thought our Brisbane, but they're in fourth place in round 19, and they've absolutely bottled it, the Broncos. So the Raiders slide in after demolishing the Tigers at Leichhardt Oval yesterday. It's getting the juices flying for rugby league fans. So let's just have a look at this. This is what we're going to expect this weekend, first weekend of finals. Uh, minor premiers and 2021 premiers of Penrith Panthers take on the Eels. In the Battle of the West at Blue Bet Stadium, Panther Park, Friday night. Then they got the Storm fifth against Canberra eighth. That is the first of the elimination finals Saturday at Amy Park. The Sharks and the Cowboys two v three in the second of the qualifying finals Saturday night at Shark Park, and a bit of a conjecture and debate about whether it should be at that venue. Then this is going to be a beauty, isn't it? The Roosters and the Rabbitohs six v seven Sunday elimination encounter in the first ever finals match at the new Allianz Stadium. You know, they thought that, given that 6v7 is where they're going to end up anyway, that the, perhaps they'd take their foot off the pedal last Friday night. Well, anything but, there is no love lost between those two sides. It was a high-intensity encounter. And yes, the Roosters won, but if you're the Rabbitohs, what do you take out of that game? You sort of, you weren't blown off the park. You found a way back into it. Looks like Murray's going to play after that early head knock. Campbell, Graham, Damien Cook, some really key ins for them. Bradley will be back for the Roosters, JWH, and Suali'i. But, of course, the big out for them is Joey Manu. This could go either way. It's, you know, the more it's only Monday, the more I think about it, the more I think the Bunnies might do something here. They're due for a loss, aren't they, the Roosters? And just on the NRL as well, yeah, they have confirmed the round four fixtures for the women's premiership. Historic first ever double header. In Melbourne on Saturday. So you've got the Titans and the Eels, followed by the Broncos and the Dragons. And that'll all be at Melbourne's Amy Park next Saturday. Then you've got the Roosters and Knights, uh, both unbeaten in the comp, will face off on Sunday at the new Allianz Stadium. So it's going to be a festival of football this weekend. Very much looking forward to it. And, of course, uh, the place to have it all covered, if you want the latest and greatest, is right here on SEN. Now, look, we, as we know, uh, both Penrith and Cronulla are going to enjoy home ground advantage for week one. Of the finals. I'm of the opinion, though, that if the state government invests in the state-of-the-art stadiums, spend over a billion dollars on them, they should be used. It just seems like madness to me that fans have to be shut out, particularly for a sport that has struggled consistently to get fans to games. And because of the limited capacity of Shark Park, I mean, Cap 1 tickets, 95 bucks as opposed to 65 at Allianz, $50 for a hill seat. Now, that's not right. Seems like a very large disparity to me. But then we read today, South's members were apparently given the wrong code. Roosters members ended up snapping up the best of the premium tickets. This is according to the Daily Telegraph. So look, it seems ticketing is going seamlessly ahead of week one of the finals. That text line number 0457 736 736. Tough weekend for the Wallabies. I've uh, got some cricket on tomorrow. Australia, New Zealand, the first of the Chapel Hadley series, and then they're off to India. So it's, uh, you know what, wrapping up footy season straight into cricket season. And the golf, uh, Live Golf had their best tournament so far in Boston. We'll touch on that a bit later on in the program. Julian King in the chair, great to have your company this Monday night on High Ground.
It is time for the weekend wash-up. We do that every Monday night with our great mate, Lachlan McCurdy from Code Sports. He's on the line right now. Evening, Lockie. Good evening, Julian. Good to chat with you. Yeah, I think you had a day off today because I saw you frantically tweeting about Nick Curios. We'll get on to that and Isla in a moment, but we've got to start with the footy finals. We finally got our rate. We said last week, yeah, we, we thought it was pretty much consolidated and then we, we got off Brisbane, we got on Canberra, uh, who thumped the Tigers in a big, big way, and I think you were out there that game. But, okay. Your Sharkies, congratulations, wonderful season. Fitzy, new coach, Nico Hines, one of the buyers of the season, along with Dale Finucane. Second place. All I've seen in my Twitter feed today are people complaining about $95 Cat A tickets for week one home final, $50 Hill tickets. So uh, before we talk about the matches, let's just talk about week one of the finals. Mm. A lot of Penrith fans complaining that they'll be locked out as well. I'm inclined to agree that if the state government of New South Wales has invested billions in stadium infrastructure, then we should be using these things, uh, particularly for a sport that, let's be honest, that doesn't always get the the spectators that it wants to week in, week out. I I think so too. It's a really delicate one. I think Penrith, we've seen in the past couple of years uh, that it works having that first week out there, but then any further weeks, it, it's just next to impossible. And Cronulla was obviously going to be a, a big litmus test this year, having it down at points bet stadium. And with a 11, 12,000 capacity, it was always going to be first in best dressed. And it, it, it's a really delicate line because there's no doubt the club, the players want to play that first week at the final there. But it's easy to say that they could get at least double the crowd, if not more, uh, if, if they were playing it at Allianz. So I think the... If it was any other club besides the Cowboys, I have a feeling the NRL would have pushed a little bit more to get to Allianz because obviously of all the teams in the finals, the Cowboys are probably going to be the one who have the fans travel. And this does no side of the fans. It's more just logistical. It's the furthest distance, really. So, yeah, I just think that they had to make a call either way and they've made the call for week one that Cronulla have to have or are allowed to have that final at home and whether it's the right decision I mean if the Sharks win they won't mind but yeah I think there's a lot of fans and not just Cronulla fans fans from the Cowboys fans who are just the footy who will be missing out on seeing what should be a pretty fantastic game on Saturday night do you think then in, they should judge this on a case-by-case basis I, I think so I just think it's too easy to say for example they just said no all the games have to be at one of the biggest stadiums. It's too... It, it, you can oversimplify it when you just kind of create a blanket rule like that. And uh, I, it is just hard because at first week of the finals, you, you want that sort of local community feeling still, but it's kind of what we've missed the last few years through COVID. It's, it's what makes the game great to have local fans supporting their teams in a big final. It's creating the atmosphere. I'm sure we'll see it at Penrith on Friday night. We'll see it in Cronulla on Saturday night, but it's a final game. You need to have the atmosphere that rivals that. An atmosphere isn't just packing out a small stadium. It's creating noise. It's creating the grandeur that the event deserves. Yeah, look, the league are clearly scared of a half-filled alliance and optically what that's going to be like on television. I just think that, you know, maximise the opportunity come finals times for fans to, to witness a spectacle. And if that means you only get 20,000 at a 40,000 seat stadium, so be it. But you're getting, you know, potentially 10 more 
than you ultimately would have. And it would seem to me too that because of the, the smaller capacity of Shark Park, that it is placing a premium on these tickets, which, you know, for the people's game, for the working class game, it seems odd to me though, Lachlan, that, you know, a Cat A ticket at Shark Park would be $95 compared to a Cat A ticket for Souths v Roosters on Sunday at Allianz being $65. And with those tickets, you're not getting a whole heap at Shark Park. You're getting a lot more value out of that ticket at Allianz Stadium just because it's newer and the facilities. And even when it comes to general admission, for an adult to have to pay $50 to, to sit on the hill at Shark Park when it's $25 out at Penrith, it just... It's wrong. I get that one of the things that people have kind of said online is that oh, it's a supply-demand thing. Obviously, there's less people available, so they're going to put the prices up. But... I don't think that should be a factor for footy finals, especially when it's the NRL running a lot of this competition once we hit finals, that there should just be kind of a set price. And, and you could easily argue that $25 out at parents is probably a bit cheap for the week one of the finals. But mm. when there's that discrepancy between grounds, just because one has a smaller um, capacity, yeah, to, to me and I think to the average person, it, it wouldn't make sense. Uh, maybe they're computing the average income of Shire residents. Oh, they've got a bit more in the skyrocket. <laughs> Air living on the water there at Sylvania. They they can afford it, can't they? Hey, have you been to, to Allianz? Did you get out there? Not for the game, but I have been to have a look around um, before it opened. And I, I do like it. I, I'm interested to go as a fan when it's full and testing out the lines of the toilets, the lines of the beer that everyone's been talking about and... Yeah, I, I'm still very sceptical whether it needed a full $1 billion demolition and mm. rebuild, but I, I guess time will tell on that. But yeah, uh, for me and for a lot of people I've been chatting to, the jury is still very much out because it's, from what I've heard, just a very new version, version of what of we had one. before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think the issue that they had too, though, and obviously the SCG Trust have now merged with Venice New South Wales, but uh, basically, see, there, there wasn't really work around with issues of access and the narrowness and you know that's the sort of mm. thing that a facelift couldn't address but anyway it's, it's it's done now it looks pretty good from all reports and yeah can't wait to get out there now uh penrith power granola cowboys storm raiders and then the great rivalry we saw it last week and see it again being the roosters and the rabbitos uh, let's get your tips for these because uh, can you see any any potential upsets or do you think it's it's pretty the run of the mill this is going to be beauty friday night penrith and Parramatta. i mean look penrith are deserved favorites for the competition but you know, there's one team that you think can beat them. Uh, judging by the results this year, it's the Eels. Yeah, you, you can't look past the Eels and their 2 and 0 record against Parramatta, um, Penrith rather. And while we're seeing full-strength Penrith come back this week, Nathan Cleary will be back and, and they, they're going to be well-rested, that's for sure. That Obviously, in the AFL, we, we saw the pre-finals by, but the Panthers have essentially had their own after resting 12 of their 13 starters for that Cowboys match. But... I see Penrith getting the job done here. I think they'll learn uh, quite a little, quite a bit from their matchups um, against Parramatta early in the year. That while I think Parramatta are playing a really good style of footy, that it's going to be different Friday night at Penrith. Um, and I think it'll be a close one, uh, but I, I think Penrith will get up. But it's the next match that I reckon the upset is going to be coming in on the Saturday afternoon, the Raiders Storm. I have no. this feeling that no I have chance. this feeling that the Green Machine had timed their run really nicely. Being at Leichhardt yesterday, looking at the vibe around the team, looking at how how much momentum they've got. I, I don't know. I just... Melbourne haven't impressed me much over the last couple of weeks. They had a big win over Penrith in Penrith when 
penalty missing their heart. But besides that, I, I just don't think, I think they're limping into the finals a little bit. And look, we, we know the lesson about counting out Melbourne at your peril, but I don't know. I just like Canberra's record down in Melbourne. That's they love playing down there. They, they yeah, raise that, for the they match up. And... They match up well against Melbourne. I'll give you that. I, I, I can't have them. Jerome Hughes, we think, is going to be back there. Let's not underestimate mm-hmm. how, how important he is. As an in, all right, let's have a look at your Sharkies. Now, uh, answer me this. I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, Cronulla's, we know, had had a pretty tame run into the finals. And, yeah, okay, they beat Newcastle and a few others. uh, They didn't look overly impressive, I have to say. I mean, they're getting the job done, granted. But do you think this is ideal preparation when you've got to meet the third-place Cowboys? It's a really interesting one because I I do agree that everyone's looking at the form, looking at the position on the ladder and going, Sharks, you have to consider one of the favourites. But... They haven't played, I don't think, anywhere near their best over the last month of footy. There's been uh, a couple of games where they've kind of scraped. And I think the Manly game was good. They kind of were able to put the foot down, but probably, again, should have put more on that Manly side. But, yeah, everyone talks about whether you need a loss going into finals, whether you need that top eight matchup. But they kind of had that stretch in the middle of the year where they went, uh, what was it, Melbourne, Cowboys, Penrith, and came away with two wins from three, which I think was a pretty good period. And, Either side of that, they had kind of smaller tests, if you want to call them that. So I think it shows that they have had that ability this year to kind of time their run and identify when they need to lift and when they need to step up. And we've kind of seen that with the team. They've been able to take their time bringing Dale Finucan back, take a bit more time with Connor Tracy and his comeback from concussion and monitor Nico and Matty Moylan a little bit more. So... Whether we see Will Kennedy back this week, I'm not sure. Big call to put him in straight for week one of the finals. But I think they'll have what it takes to lift. And we know Cowboys don't necessarily play too well in Sydney from previous history. So I think they have, if they want any chance of winning the comp, I think either of these teams will be wanting to win week one and getting that home final in the prelim. Because if not, it could be... Yeah, it, it, it'd be hard to see either of them getting through what would likely be Penrith or probably even Parramatta to get to the grand final. All right, so you like Penrith Friday night, you like Cronulla and the Raiders on the Saturday, then the Sunday mm-hmm. game, the Roosters and the Bunnies. It's interesting, you know, the, the Roosters should have won by a lot more. So they are going to welcome, well, Tupu's probably 50-50. Of course, Manu's a big out, but, but Radley's going to come back. Uh, JWH, they, they didn't really have for the last game either. Souths, it looks like Cam Murray will play. Damien Cook, I think, isn't that right? Pat is going to return as well. I don't know about Campbell Graham, what his status is. Uh, he's good to go as well. So, you know, it's uh, who's the winner out of last week? I know the Roosters won on the scoreboard, but do Souths take something away from that? And can they turn the tide this time around? I think they do. Uh, I, I've been tossing and turning this one, and I'll probably toss and turn again in the coming days. But... At the moment, I'm leaning towards South. We've kind of seen their ability in finals the last couple of years. And obviously, it's different when they had Wayne Bennett at the helm. But they have timed their run well this year. We, we've seen some really nice partnerships with Cody Walker, Latrell Mitchell, Latrell Mitchell, Alex Johnson. And you're getting Damien Cook back this week. You should hopefully be getting a, a fresh, firing Cam Murray back this week. And I, I think Joey Manu is set to be a big loss for the Roosters. But even though he's playing sort of out on that centre position, that he impacts... He has that ability to, if the game's kind of in a lull, have an impact and, and change the momentum of the game. So uh, that is a big loss. And I, and I just like the idea that South will learn from last week, know what they have to do, whereas I thought the Roosters played pretty well. So mm-hmm. if they can shut down some of uh, 
the Roosters' key attacking raids. I mean, you got to look at Angus Crichton and that Butcher. They've been really good the last couple of weeks. So they'll, I reckon they'll look to identify those and keep them quiet. I think South have a great chance of getting through this elimination final. Yeah, Crichton's been wonderful. Sue Ali's uh, going to be back too for the Roosters. Mate, yeah. we are fast running out of time. We could talk footy all night. But the tennis, <laughs> uh, wonderful result for Kyrgios. Some are calling it the, the best match of his career, ousting the world number one. He's got a, a pretty dominant record now against Medvedev. He's favourite with the bookies, which uh, probably doesn't sit comfortably with me considering he's still got, you know, Rafa, who else, Alcaraz, Sinner, and, and a couple of players of note. But he just, mm. he looks like he's in a zone. And, and by his own admission, Kyrgios sort of had a taste of success. He realises now what he's capable of. He's got a good team around him and he's starting to get out of his own way. Yeah, he, he's playing definitely some of the best tennis, I think, uh, having watched him for what almost 10 years now, we all have, that he's playing some of the best tennis I think we've ever seen, that his footwork is good, his speed across the court is really improved and he's got this mental fortitude to deal with the, the battles on the court now that he may not have had previously, that if something goes wrong, if he misses a shot, if he makes the brain fade that he did uh, when he hit the ball before it even bounced over the net, I, he has been able to deal with that. I think that's really that promising. Funny, yeah. And yeah. yeah, and just the way he's adapted his game, I think playing doubles with Nasi Kokonakis has really helped his game a lot. Yeah. That you see when he's coming up to the net, some of his volleys that he's hitting, the delicate touch on that is quite spectacular. And I, I think the other thing that we're seeing as well is his return game that. Medvedev is a fantastic server, not one of the best on the tour, but he's really accurate. But Nick was able to kind of push him around the court with returns and get that pressure on early, and he'll need to do the same against Karen Hachinov uh, if he wants to make it through to the semi. Yeah, he's playing smart, aggressive tennis. Now, Ida Tomlanovic also in the quarters are probably overshadowed a bit by the result with Nick. It's the first time I think we've had two Aussie quarter finalists since 84, where Pat Cash and Wendy Turbull featured I just wonder, too, if Isla's a bit of a sleeper in the women's draw because he, women's tennis in general, and we know she conquered Serena and she was asked about being a trivia question for the rest of her career. But, uh, you know, women's tennis at the moment is really wide open. It, it really is. And we're kind of seeing that maybe by, besides Igish Biontech, the world number one, who, who is there still in the draw at the moment and has been just dominant for such a long period, that the rest of the rankings and seeds kind of feel all over the place. I mean... We obviously saw Annette Conteve lose to Serena and then um, Isla beat Serena. And again, overnight, Isla's performance was just outstanding. To come back from 4-1 and 5 to down in that first set, she saved eight set points and then came out, won that first set, then won the second 6-1 against someone who hadn't lost a game in 13 matches, hadn't even dropped a set in seven or eight or something. She's playing great tennis. Her ground stroke game is good. And she's got the strength to kind of match it with anyone in a rally in a tournament. So I think she will like her chances. And kind of like Nick, she's previously maybe not been able to mentally switch on and off when needed in the game. She looks like she's got that under control now. She does, mate. Thank you so much, as always, for joining us on this Monday night. What's happening in code sports and what can we look forward to? Plenty of finals preview content with the the footy coming up this week. Uh, So hopefully be getting to one or two of those games. I might be trying to get down to Shark Park if I can. Uh, (laughs) And, and yeah, plenty plenty to look forward to. Yeah. Hey, you've got to take your scarf off, mate. You need to be impartial. You need to be impartial. You know that. Check it all out, codesports.com.au. Thank you, Lock, and we'll speak next week. Thanks, George. There he is, Lockie McCurdy from Code Sports. Uh, you know, there's too much sport, not enough time. Of course, Australia taking on New Zealand tomorrow. Uh, this game going to be in Cairns, the Chapel Hadley Trophy. Remember when 
they had the cricket, then COVID started. Had to cancel the rest of it. Yeah, I remember calling the game that day. It was weird. There were no crowds and who knew what was to come. Uh, so we'll have a look at that as well. And the Premier League, of course, I'm very happy. My Manchester United 3-1 over ladder leaders. Arsenal, Brighton 5. What is going on with Leicester? They thump Leicester 2. Uh, Villa Man City 1-1. Newcastle Palace 0-0. Brentford 5 over Leeds 2. Wolves 1. Southampton 0. Chelsea 2. West Ham 1. Bournemouth 3. Forest 2. Then you had the Merseyside derby, Everton, Liverpool, nil apiece. Tottenham 2, Fulham 1. And we'll talk a bit more football after the break with Ian McCulloch and his UK report. You are on high ground with Jules. Stick around. Second out of the program, of course, an abridged version today, an extended edition of the first serve with Brett Phillips and a great day for the Australians too at the US Open with Nick Kyrgios and Isla Tomlanovic both advancing to the quarterfinals. The first time we've had two Aussies in the quarters, I believe, and since Pat Cash and Wendy Turnbull way back in 1984 and Nick Kyrgios deposing of the number one seed, Danny Medvedev, in four sets. It was arguably his best ever game in a Grand Slam tournament. He just looks very composed and very focused, Kyrgios. And Medvedev was very kind afterwards. He said that that game that Nick played was of a Nadal-Djokovic level. That's quite the rap, but he's still got a way to go. But he's now favourite with the bookies. Uh, we'll catch up with Ian McCulloch uh, very, very shortly to have a look at the round of Premier League action and some VAR controversies as well. But before that, birthdays today. Happy birthday to Aussie spinner Bruce Yardley, born today, 1947. Former Socceroos striker, Bari striker, as well as Socceroos coach, Frank Farina, born today, 1964. In 1969, born in Bushy, Hertfordshire. Uh, Mark Ramprakash. English cricketer, uh, another English cricketer, Adam Holyoke, Australian-born, 1971. Matt Geyer, uh, winning premiership, winning winger for the Melbourne Storm, born this day, 1975. Steve Price, which one, you ask? Uh, the coach, current coach or assistant coach, rather, of the Cronulla Sharks, born today, 1977. Uh, one of the finest All Blacks, 1978, born today, Chris Jack, the back rower in Christchurch, New Zealand. Uh, speaking of rugby, Wallaby Scott Higginbottom, born today, 1986, and Matilda Haley Rasso. So we're up to date with the birthdays. Just very quickly on the text line, Bondi Jack says, did you see the bunker dope Matt Noyan wearing the beer goggles cost the Eels the NRLW season v the Knights? Uh, the referee correctly ruled that Predamon lost the ball short of the line. She dropped it trying to keep it in goal and to ground it. Landon's a short, never close to being grounded. Maxwell warned this clown for years did a Henry Perinara undermining. <laughs> You've named about 20 officials in this text, Bondi Jack. I had a look at it during the break. Uh, no try. I'm with you. And I'm quite stunned that they did rule a try. I get Pat to have a look and cast his eyes over it and see if he can't make a decision. Now get this. London calling as I was there too. And you know what they said. But some of it was true. Yeah, we do this each and every Monday night, our time. We check in with the old data. Ian McCulloch is along to have a look at the weekend's Premier League action. You know what? I need to get his juices flowing. So, Pat, cue it up, maestro. <laughs> Come on, Ian, don't be shy. Sing along. <laughs> Well, they bought Anthony. I don't sing on live radio. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, it's never too late to try new things, even at your ripe old age, mate. But, uh, yes, well, Anthony scored. Uh, couldn't have asked for a better debut, and he did that at Old Trafford. Uh, anyway, I- I'm happy. I've talked about the, the Rashford renaissance. It's four on the trot now uh, for Man United. So whatever he's doing, Ten Hag, I mean, Ragnick said they needed open-heart surgery, and he's, he's changed something in a short space of time. And, and as a United fan, I can say... 
Long may that continue. And, you know, look at Man City that only drew with Aston Villa and Liverpool as well. Nil-nil in the Merseyside derby. And uh, it's early days, but Arsenal still top of the table. But it's looking a bit more congested now. But, but out of that game, and in fact, out of the weekend, there were a stack of VAR controversies. Let's start with that one Arsenal Man United. Uh, uh, so can you just clarify for the benefit of our listeners, uh, VAR, is it only to be employed when a goal is scored? Or can you rule on fouls, as was the case here? No, it's only when a goal is scored or if there is a potential penalty. So they might say a player's fouled in the box, but the ball was kicked down the other end of the field. The VAR can check to see if a penalty should be awarded and the play brought back. Um, but um, if a goal is scored, but there's an offence in the build-up to it or deemed offence, they can go back and check the offence took place or didn't take place. And, oh. That's basically how it works, um, which was the case at Old Trafford yesterday where uh, Odegaard's, uh, well, call it a, a challenge if you want, a foul. For me, it wasn't a foul. It's contact, but it's not a foul. But in the modern day game where things are checked over and over again, they think it was a foul and uh, the play was brought back. But a uh, very good game, though, really. You know, good to see United you know, being back to in the top half of the table. And, you know, games of Arsenal United are sort of from. 20 years ago were must-watch sort of TV. Yeah. And, uh, it, it still wasn't that, but it was still a very high-quality game. And um, could have gone either way, really. Um, but, you know, and, uh, you know, great to see Rashford back. I mean, I, I like Marcus Rashford. Uh, a great man on and off the field. He's had a tough sort of 18 months mm. with, uh, on the field. But um, he looks sort of creeping back to his best, which is good for him for the World Cup coming up in a couple of months and, uh, and good for United as well. Yeah, well, I, I'll presume that he'd be part of Southgate's plans, and, and I guess Harry Maguire, but he seems to be down the pecking order now there at, at Old Trafford. Uh, you know, it's funny, I saw some footage uh, somebody had posted on, on Twitter of, of Tottenham fans and United fans cheering and high-fiving each other when they found that, that Arsenal were going down. It's it's funny when it comes to London rivalry, speaking of which, Chelsea and West Ham are 2-1 to Chelsea, but a bit of controversy for, for the Hammers. Oh, yeah, this was a shocker. <laughs> And uh, Australian referee Jared uh, Gillette, who's uh, now on the Premier League mm. list after spending a couple of years in the uh, in the in the Championship. To be fair, he's actually a very good ref. I saw him a few times uh, in the Championship, and uh, he always ref very kind of calmly and sensibly, and uh, deserves his uh, promotion to the Premier League. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, what's happened is that uh, Jared Bowen has uh, scored a goal, which could have been an equaliser for West Ham in the last minute. And it's a judge that um, there was a foul on the goalkeeper, Edward Mendy. Um, and Gillette called it on the, um, the VAR, and it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. It's, it's striker going for a ball, keeper coming out and mm. coming together, but he's barely touched him. And Mendy's gone down like he's been shot from someone in the crowd. And it's <laughs> allowed. And, and the thing is, again, this is, you know, VAR, it, like anything in sport, it's an inexact science. Yeah. And I heard you talking there about, you know, complaints about the bunker giving this and that. And you know, sport is about mistakes and things not being spotted. And I think there is this kind of cry for perfection and getting the result, right result every time. And then what happens is when you bring in VAR or the bunker in, you know, the NRL, that when bad decisions are made, it, it amplifies the kind of anger towards officials about yeah. what it should have been given, it should have been checked. Sometimes, I think there is more of a case in rugby league and rugby to have video sort of 
replaced because there is always that element of there's more element of doubt when there is a try because did was the ball grounded was someone touching the line as they ran towards the corner whereas with soccer you very much have the kind of was it a goal wasn't it a goal mm. and I think there is room for calling back contentious penalties but it was a goal for Brighton yesterday which would have been probably goal of the season where you know Alexis uh, McAllister for Brighton smashed one in from kind of you know best part of 35, 40 metres yeah. top hand corner and it's taken four minutes to decide if a Brighton player who was marginally offside was obstructing the rule of the goal four minutes to decide that yeah. you know you're sucking the joy out of the crowd of watching an amazing goal but the problem is you've had commentators and managers for years demanding we want to get these big decisions right. Well, mm. they're now gone to the nth degree where they're trying to get exact perfection. Yeah, was he offside? Perhaps. Yeah. Maybe like his, his bootlace was marginally offside, but come on. Mm. And sport is about mistakes, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's not <laughs> how the game's meant to be played, you know. And they talk about technology to eradicate howlers. I mean, if they let that one go, that's hardly what I'd define as a, as a howler. But further to that, I mean, you can have the best technology on the planet, but it still involves a degree of adjudication. And so perfection in that, in a sense, it can never be attained because there's still that human element that's required in these decisions. Because you, you, you'll always have, like, say, you've got a Para fan and a Dragons fan, and the Para fan will say that was a forward pass, and the Dragons fan will say, no, no it wasn't. So of course, they're, because if their team, it's not a forward pass, and if it is their team, it is a forward pass. <laughs> yes, right. And you're going to get that kind of, yeah, that, that sport. You go to a bar and discuss, you know, the other ref has a stinker there, he's not... But that, that's what the game is. You can't. Can you have perfection? And they say it's to get rid of the, you know, the, the obvious errors, which you want that. I think in cricket, it's more well placed in cricket because you can get nicks behind that maybe they didn't get a, you know, there's a noise. Doesn't always mean he's hit the ball. Yeah. That kind of works. Um, LBW get that. But I think in other sports, does it? Do you really need to have it? I don't know. I don't know. Of. Yeah, having seen, you know, at the weekend, the four minutes to decide on whether a goal scored from you know, long no, range is wrong. a goal or not. I mean, that's wrong. We, yeah, we see that in all sports too. We're just waiting around for it. Oh, we'll just have another look at this. And you're 37 looks. So come on, get on with it. I mean, it's quite apparent to everybody, but apparently except for the, uh, you know, the the official there in, well, the bunker in our case in rugby league. But, yes, I'll take your point. Just having a look at uh, uh, Mitch. Well, I'm yes, while well, I'm ranting on on this, they, they talk about cricketers getting fined for slow over rates, but... There's no accounting for how long it takes to adjudicate mm. on a mm. DRS decision on the overrates, is it? You can sometimes have 15 minutes of a, of a day's play spent looking at five decisions. Yes. Oh, listen, don't get me started then on, on the batsmen who want to change their sweaty gloves every three or four overs. I mean, you know, it's always the bowlers, slow yeah. overrates. You know. uh, just out of match day six of 38, anybody or any team or any performance stand out for you, Ian? Uh, I mean, you, you have to look at, really, the, the, the former Brentford this year. Uh, you know, probably the smallest club in the Premier League. You've really come from nowhere in the last 10 years. Um, but the second, they've, you know, five put in five past leads. And uh, Ivan Tony, who they signed from uh, League One side Peterborough four years ago. Mm. Um, in Tower for an England call-up. I mean, they obviously put four past United a few weeks ago, five against Leeds. Um, they're not the prettiest to watch, but they're effective at the moment. And... Um, yeah, that for me, that's probably the performance of the weekend. Getting, you know, Leeds are in decent form as well, um, despite their comical attempts at signing players on deadline day, which ended up with uh, 
mm. from signing no one. <laughs> They sold one of their best players to Fulham, thinking they were getting a, a guy in, and the guy they were going to bring in then decided he didn't want to come and went to sign for France, the team in France instead, and then failed his medical. <laughs> they scored 15 goals this on year, one day, so. So, so they know how to put yeah. it. They know how to find the back of the net. Oh, France, what about killing Mbappe and this whole witch doctor thing? I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, he just gets weirder. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a strange cat, I believe, at the best of times, Mbappe, but you know, that's taking it to a, an entirely different level. Oh, just, just before we get on to cricket, uh, just a quick word on Leicester. What, what's happened to them this year, Ian? It's not, not a happy camp down there. Um, you know, obviously, you know, amazing when they won the Premier League a few years ago, won the FA Cup. Um, very vibrant club going the right way, but they just, they're just selling their best players. They're not replacing them. Patrick Michael's allowed to leave. Um, I think that was a goodwill gesture towards him. He'd been there a long time, great servant of the club. In the last payday playing in, uh, for Nice in France, not the worst place to live. Um, but they just haven't bought anyone. Mm. It seems like they're letting the squad kind of run down. There seems to be a bit of discontent there. You're seeing players arguing on the pitch yesterday. Uh, Brendan Rodgers is a great coach, but it feels like he's doing a bit with one hand tied behind his back at the moment. Uh, it's like this player's not putting in, you know, the player's not running back. There's, it doesn't seem a happy camp there. It's, um, I mean, they always have odds for the sack race. You'd have to think that Rogers, uh, for all he's done for that club, he's, I think, you know, his, his position is looking, you know, under under real jeopardy at the moment. And the way things are going at the moment, you'd say that Leicester, Leicester could get relegated. Quite remarkable. Now, England have named their T20 World Cup squad, of course, uh, only a few months away here on Australian shores. Joss Butler's a captain, Moen Ali, Harry Brooks, Sam Curran, Chris Jordan, Liam Livingston, uh, David Milan, Adele Rashid, Phil Salt, Ben Stokes, Reese Topley, David Willey, Chris Wokes, Mark Wood and the reserves are Liam Dawson, Richard Gleeson and Tim Mill. So it's a pretty strong side, but it would have been stronger with the presence of one Johnny Bairstow, who will not be in the side due to, and this is quite remarkable, a freak accident while he was playing golf. Uh, tell us what happened. Oh, poor Johnny. Uh, he's been an amazing touch in the test team. He really has had an outstanding year. A real key man in England, the white ball and now the red ball. Um, apparently what happened was he was playing golf and as he was walking up to the tee box, up the steps, he slipped oh, and badly injured his knee. So <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you can't get much bad luck, more bad luck than that for Johnny. Um, yeah, he's... he's I don't. They haven't revealed the extent of the injury, but all that's been said is that he won't be playing any cricket again this year and is out of the 2020 World Cup. So Imagine that. Yeah. You know, what, he just slipped uh, playing golf yeah. and he's gone. You know, the sport is is littered with tales of of freak injuries. Yeah. You know, people that throw a, a disc out bending over to pick up the remote or something like that. And uh, you know, David Kidwell, a rugby league player down under, was just innocuously playing with his kids one day, turned around and, and put his knee out and. Uh, who was I remember the, that, yeah. Who was the, the footballer that got his, his ring finger caught in the, the fence and the whole digit came off? Um, in His name just escapes uh, me now. Is that Ryan Martin? No, no I'm just, let me look it up here. Um, Paolo Diogo, if you remember that name. Uh, but yes, jumped the fence no. and much of his finger tore off because a ring got caught into it. Ugh, yuck, yuck. This is pretty yeah, that's decent. quite common that happens yeah. when parents, you hear parents putting the nets up for the kids and they put the nets over the top and they catch their ring fingers on the hooks behind it's it's mm. uh yeah it's a nasty 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 stuff it's a pretty strong looking squad uh pretty much every one of those names would be familiar to australians the only one that australians probably wouldn't have heard of is harry brook 
Uh, Ian, what can you tell us about Harry Brook? Uh, place of Yorkshire, very highly rated. Um, had a good season last year. Was uh, voted Young Cricketer of the Year by the, uh, the English Cricket Writers Association. Um, yeah, just another big hit in modern day young batsman. Um, they've done well for Yorkshire in the in the blast and also in the hundred. He scored some runs and he's very much seen as a kind of next one off the rank. Okay, he's come off the rank, so mm. to speak. So they've um, yeah, pretty strong. But I mean, it's in many ways it's such a, a lottery. Well, it is. I mean, nobody saw Australia winning the last one, so you know. I guess uh, we'll see if they can go back to back. Although Aaron Finch would want to pick up his four. Mate, I've taken too much of your time as always. Thank you so much. We'll catch you next week. Good on you, Jules. Take care, mate. Bye now. Yes, uh, there is Ian McCulloch. I uh, wonder how he's feeling. They've got a new Prime Minister. Is Truss replacing Boris Johnson? 0457 736 736. Uh, Jimmy from Ipswich. Uh, last time Australians in the US Open quarterfinals, 1998, Scud played Raft in the final. Yeah, that is right, Jimmy, but I'm talking about uh, a man and a woman, so men's and the women. So in the case of today, you had Kyrgios advancing and then Isla Tomlanovic as well. Uh, so to have a quarter finalist in both the men's and the women's at the same time, I think, I think the last time it was 1984, uh, Pat Cash and Wendy Turnbull. Good on you, Jimmy. Love to hear from you. 0457 736 736. Look, just before we get to the break, for Father's Day, and happy belated Father's Day to all the dads out there, my my son got me a, a Wallabies jersey key ring. So, you know, very thoughtful against dad likes sport. Because what happens, you just give him you know, 10 bucks and they go to the Father's Day stall and they just pick up a bunch of crap you probably don't really need. <laughs> He's in bed, I can say it now. Uh, it's also a flashlight, so it's actually quite quite functional and quite handy. But I, I would say it's lost its value from the night before after that insipid performance against the box. They went down 24 points to eight. the Wallabies. They're so up and down, aren't they, the Australians? A really solid victory. We saw with Argentina. We've seen it again now with South Africa, followed by a poor defeat. Interestingly, the, the Wobblies haven't, and I said that on purpose, haven't won two consecutive tests since September 2021. And that was a return bout knockout of South Africa. And so, you know what, the, they had a chance to repeat it Saturday night, brand new Allianz Stadium, but they've left there with the tail between their legs. They were clunky, the handling was poor, they were, their discipline was dumb. It's just, it is just frustrating. It's so, so frustrating because their best, as you know, is pretty good. In the Formula One, Max Verstappen uh, won the Dutch Grand Prix in front of his adoring home fans, the Zandvoort track. It's just a sea of orange. Daniel Ricciardo, his ways continued. He finished in 17th. I did mention the cricket. September 6th, so tomorrow, the first ODI, uh, whirlwind schedule, two, three day-nighters in six days before New Zealand depart again. Uh, in Cairns, 2.20 p.m., then September 8th, the second, and then the third, they're all in Cairns, uh, September 11. So we had the day games against Zimbabwe, and this will be played at Cairns' Kazali's Stadium. They're all day-nighters. As we mentioned, Aaron Finch under a stack of pressure. He's had a pretty tough series against the Zimbabweans. His, his feet just aren't moving. But he's got plenty of backing inside the team. Uh, George Bailey, head coach, Andrew McDonald, uh, have endorsed him this week. Now, to golf. Well done to Cameron Smith. Pretty decent payday for him. Narrowly missed winning his first event on this controversial live tour. Still banked more than 1.5 mil for a top five finish. 1.5 mil. It's amazing what, what he earns is basically what he's taken out of the majors this year. And he won a major. He just can't compete. He's world number two ranked Australian. For how long, though, is the question, because they're still vying for official world golf rankings points. He's the highest ranked player, Smith, to defect from the PGA to the Saudi-backed concept. 
And it was eventually won by Dustin Johnson. The American beat debutants Joaquin Neiman and Anibran Lahiri in three-way playoff. They'd be happy too with a good showing by Lahiri because he attracted whole audience in India. So 14-under, they've destroyed this course as well. They've destroyed it. And Dustin Johnson said, yeah, you know, the competitive juices are flowing. That check you get, you know, your butthole puckers up a little bit coming down the last few holes, and it means a lot, and on he goes, and it's standard stuff, and you've got to talk up the concept, don't you? Mark Leishman, four-under. Matt Jones, four-under. Just looking at some of the other Aussies. Uh, Jed Morgan, five-under. Wade Ormsby, even all outside of the top 20. They love him there at Boston. The mulleted Cam Smith. People know I'm not a fan of Liv, but from all reports, I had a bit of vibe about it. The players broke with tradition and wore shorts. And I don't mind that. I don't mind that. Because you know what? It's it's the tournament Liv Golf needed. You had the raucous crowds. You had the top names like Johnson, like Smith, all performing. And essentially it delivered everything the league could have asked for to keep it part of the what they call the attention economy. You know, that's the idea that that any attention has commercial value. So if it can be captured, which Live Golf most certainly has, it can be commodified. And Live thrives in this chaos. You know, they're upending the, the traditionalists. And that's what they've done. They've got the shotgun start. It finishes all over the place. You chuck in the shorts for good measure. It's, it's rock and roll, baby. They're shaking up the establishment. But behind the noise and haste, Live remains at its core a sports washing enterprise. It is. I've said it before, I said it again, it's a Norman Vengeance project. He's had it in for the PGA for a couple of decades. But the thing about it is, and, I, and I've thought pretty deeply about this, it, and I said, oh, I don't get Live in the sense, it, it has very little purpose beyond existing for itself. And so, yeah, it continues to carve out a space in the sporting landscape. But it still can't divorce itself from its troubling Saudi roots. So whether that's ultimately good for business, only time will tell. But yes, Boston was fun. But some are championing that as a, as a watershed moment. I think it'll go down. It's just another novelty in a perpetual travelling roadshow. Because the problem with the new league is not the standard. It's not the personnel. But it, it lacks context. It lacks context. So let's cast aside for a moment this team aspect. It's predominantly the same 48 players are going to uproot, move on to the next city, start all over again. And as the Boston weekend demonstrated, you know, things are rosy when Cam and DJ fire, but, you know, how long does a league carry a Pat Perez or a Phil Mickelson if they continually bang it around over par? And Perez, to his credit, had a better tournament. But pretty much all the money he's earned has been from a team event, which he didn't contribute to. You know, a cash grab tournament dressed up as meaningful league golf can fool some people some of the time, but, you know, hey, go the four aces. You know, this is the fundamental problem with Liv. It lacks integrity. It lacks accountability. And that's not to say it's not occasionally entertaining. From what I've seen and the brief amount of golf I caught, yeah, it was entertaining. And in a short space of time, I'll give them their due, it has become the second best competition in world golf. But... But beyond the oddity, eventually, eventually we'll realise that we have reached the pinnacle of golfing absurdism. You're on high ground.